Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. I love that line, I'm in awe of you. Are you in awe of God today? And do you owe him all? Golly, what a great song. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Let me ask you to take your Bibles and go with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're in our fourth week of our Open Heart series. And uh, today we're going to talk about growth. Uh, You know, I, I believe that if you are a true believer, I believe the Bible speaks to this, that if you are a true believer, you are growing in Christ. And the only question then for you and I as believers, are you growing? Because if you're not, the question is why? What's happening? Are you saved? Are you playing games? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6 today. Many of you remember uh, Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen was in the 30s. He was a gangster. Uh, when he was 15 years old, he... he got into boxing and uh, he was in LA and went to Cleveland started boxing and was gonna gonna be a boxer and was was somewhat okay he got the nickname gangster Mickey Cohen and uh, so he he gave up boxing and decided gangster was the place he needed to be so he became a gangster in the, the 30s and 40s. Uh, he began to working with, in Chicago. He, he wanted to go to Chicago and work for Al Capone. And he became successful with Al Capone. Uh, Cohen um, was, not, was one of those guys that, that he just, he'd do anything. He wasn't afraid of anybody. And one of his friends, Bugsy Seagull, I always like these names. Gangsters have the best names. I, you know, I got Erdy, and they, they got Buckster, you know, Bugsy. Anyhow, um, Bugsy Seagull dies, so they put a hit out on him, and, and it was Mickey's best friend. Mickey gets mad, and he's in L.A., goes to the Roosevelt Hotel, walks in the hotel in the big grand room. He pulls two forty fives out and just begins to shoot in the air. Just tearing it up. Said, whoever killed Bugsy, I'll meet you in the parking lot in 10 minutes. Now, nobody came to the parking lot. But, you you know, it's just funny that he would just walk into a hotel and just unload and then say, I'll meet him in the parking lot in 10 minutes. Uh, It's kind of interesting. Well, 1951, he goes to, to prison. Uh, he gets caught. He's in prison. And he, during his time in prison, I believe he comes to know Christ or, or has some type of uh, Christian experience. We'll just put it that way. Not uh, pretty certain he never came to know Christ. But he has this Christian experience in, in prison. And so by 1957, Time Magazine does a little article, does a thing on him. You know, he's become this... This uh, kind of a rock star gangster gets out of prison and begins a, a new life uh, running a flower shop, running a bowling alley, probably still working behind the scenes with a gang. And uh, Time Magazine does this article on him, and he, he meets Billy Graham. When he meets Billy Graham, he tells Billy Graham, I am very high on the Christian way of life because he'd come to know Christ. 
But there was a problem with that. In fact, in fact when Billy Graham meets him, the article says um, uh, that Mickey said, now what, are you, what is it we supposed to do before we eat? What, what's that thing we do? You mean say grace? Yeah, yeah, let, let's say grace. You know, that tells you how high on the Christian life Mickey may have been at that time. But it was publicized he'd come to know Christ and when he got out of prison, he was just kind of living his own life, doing his own thing. And all these preachers were watching because Mickey was, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. But his lifestyle didn't change. He kept on being the gangster he's always been. And finally, he came up with this. And he said, he said here's, here's the thing. You'll see the quote on, on the screen. He says, there are Christian football players, Christian cowboys, Christian politicians, maybe. Christian politicians, why not Christian gangsters? In other words, I want to be a gangster. I want to live the gangster life and just, can I just be a Christian and do that? Well, the problem is it's like an oxymoron. You just can't do, you can't be one and the other at the same time. Um, and so there was a lot of speculation as to whether Mickey Cohen ever really came to know Christ. You know, the, the, it has been said, that, you know, Billy Graham has been quoted in saying one of the greatest mission fields is in the local church. Because there are people every week who come, who fill the pew, who sing the songs, who go to Sunday school, and yet never have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 6, I want us to point out some things because the Bible is very clear to us that there are those who will, on that day when God calls us home, there were people who say, didn't we do all this in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I know you not. So in other words, we know the Bible teaches that there are people who look, act, and think they're saved, and yet they miss heaven by a mile. Well, Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews addresses that this morning. And so as we talk about an open heart requires growth, I want us to evaluate our heart. And are we growing in Christ? Or are we just playing the game? So let's stand as we read God's word. In Hebrews chapter 6, you'll see it on the screen. You can turn it on on your phone today. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, uh, if you're wondering. So, uh, verse 1 says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repentance from evil deeds or placing faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward towards understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who have then turned away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to the public shame. 
And when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if the field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. And the farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. You may be seated. Let me share you the big idea this morning. The big idea is simply this. In order for a person to grow to maturity in Christ, they must surrender to Christ. You're never going to grow in Christ if you don't surrender to Christ. Catch that? If you don't surrender to Christ, you're never going to grow in Christ. Because if you're never surrendering, you're only playing games. You're just, you're just going through the motions. Growing in Christ isn't something you want to do. And so the writer of Hebrews, whoever that person is, comes to chapter 6 here and begins to have a strong conversation and, and it's, it's an important passage for us to grasp this morning. And, and let me just lay out a few things. There are people who want to take this passage and look at it. And we'll address it in a moment that you can lose your salvation. However, the writer of Hebrews, as we'll see in a moment, is not talking to those who are saved, but those who are lost and have been lost and acting like they're saved. So let me give you a couple things we find in this. Well, now, first thing, if we're going to grow in our, in, in our uh, heart, uh, in our understanding, we have to press forward to maturity. We've got to press in. We've got to press forward. We've got to, we've got to get off the, the baby milk and get on to some meat and potatoes. We have to, to get to some things. In the first couple of verses there, there is six things that that the Hebrew writer addresses that, that the Jews had covered and it was one of those things that you knew and you understood. Uh, it was the, the, repent, uh, the repentance from dead works. In other words, you know, you've got to change your ways. You've got to, 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 to get away from those things. It was, another one was faith, uh, faith towards God, the uh, baptism, instructions of laying on of hands, um, the resurrection from the dead, um, eternal judgment. Those are the six things that, that have been key pieces um, that they knew. Now, here's the thing. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, is not that you need to just forget those things. The, it's not that. It's, those are elementary. You got those. Let's move on. Do you realize that there are people who are lost who know enough about God and his word that they can have a conversation that they can carry on a conversation and never and never let on like they don't know Jesus it was on a Wednesday night I was sharing there was a uh, a few years ago there was a, a student who took on a journalism uh, endeavor they went to Liberty University there were Jerry Falwell back Dr. Falwell's uh, university that he started since his death but he went to there as an atheist he didn't know Jesus didn't want to know Jesus didn't believe in Jesus but the assignment he took on was I'm gonna go and and just see how much how, how far I can get on not knowing Jesus and see if they figure it out you know they put him in leadership 
They put him on traveling teams for, for revivals. Why? Because nobody asked him, do you know Jesus? He could, he could talk enough game that everybody just assumed. Do you realize the same thing happens today? That people can talk enough about God and the church that people will go, well, you, you know, they, they, they ought to be, they're great. They ought to be a deacon. They ought to be a Sunday school teacher. They ought to, and they fill in the blank. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, this is elementary here. We can't stay in the elementary age. We have to move forward. I mean, think about it. Are you excited if your 16-year-old or 22-year-old only knows 2 plus 2 equals 4? Or, do you, or are you kind of embarrassed that they missed the point along the way? Right? You want them, you want the, and, and listen, any good mama will go, well, it's the school's fault. That's who's his fault at, you know. They won't take responsibility. But anyhow, we, that's a different story for another time. We want to see them grow, do we not? Why? Because we know it's good for them to grow. We know it's good and healthy for them for their future to grow in wisdom and knowledge. So why wouldn't it be the same case with our spiritual knowledge? And so if we are grow if if our open heart is growing, it's pressing on towards maturity. It's moving to a place where we are, are understanding the scriptures deeper. Where we, as we just sang, are in awe of God because we understand his amazing grace. And we understand how much of a sinner we are and how deep God's love is for us. I mean, think about it. If you read the Old Testament and you follow Israel through the wilderness... You would probably, I don't know, maybe you do, and I do, uh, from time to time go, man, these people just don't get it. They crossed the Red Sea. God parted it. He's given them manna from heaven. He's sent a cloud. He sent a fire. He's done all this. And yet they still say, we can't conquer that land. But you know what? We do the same thing. God's blessed us. God's rescued us, God's carried us through, God's delivered us, God's helped us, and yet we go, oh, but I can't do it. Growing in maturity recognizes we can't do anything. It's all through the power of Christ. And so we got to press forward towards maturity. The second thing we find in this text is the overcoming issues of genuineness. Overcoming issues of genuineness. Now here's where I want to talk about uh, where people want to point to this text and say you can lose your salvation. Uh, look with me at the text for just a second. When we look at the text, we find in, in verses 4 uh, through 6, it says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and then shared the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of, of the age to come. Now, the people want to look at this and say, hey, we can come to this place and if we're not careful, we'll lose our salvation. No, 
let me share a few things with you. Number one, there's nothing about this text that, that is talking about the saved. Uh, the word there used is enlightened. Enlightened is nowhere in the scripture used to describe those who've come to salvation in Christ. Uh, throughout the Bible, we use words like sanctified or, or those who are redeemed or uh, the righteous, ho- holy, set apart. Those are all words that have been used to describe people who've come to faith in God. Enlightened is not one of those words. Enlightened just means you've got a little bit of knowledge. Doesn't mean that that knowledge has transformed your life. It just means you got it and what you do with it is on your own. So there's nothing about this text that, that tells us that you can lose your salvation because it's not even talking about the saved. And yet there are things throughout the Bible that help us understand we can't lose our salvation. John 10 tells us this. Beginning in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. What's it say there? Wait, 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 what happened? Come on. It's in yellow, read it for me. All right, we'll try it again in a minute. No one can snatch them. Give a little gusto today. Uh, No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and and he is more powerful than anyone else. Oh, my goodness. No wonder the cats didn't do very well this year. We're not practicing our cheering them on. Here we go. Look, twice in that text, no one can snatch them. From my hand. Does that sound like somebody can lose your salvation? No, it doesn't. Second Peter tells us this. Second Peter two uh, twenty, and when the people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then they entangled up, then and then they get entangled up and enslaved by sin again. They are worse off than before. It would have been better that they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and be rejected and reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Second Peter is the same kind of people being addressed. These people who know a little and they lose it. You know, Jesus tells a parable about people who are like this. Remember the parable? It's the, the soul. Uh, the, the seed is scattered on the ground and as the, as the seed lands the, the, there's some on the path that, that get trampled some that gets over here in the weeds and it comes up and then it's choked out it's only that in the good ground that grow up and produce it's the same thing it's the same kind of thing it's people who hear a little and, and that's enough so the writer of Hebrews gives us three things in, this, in, in these verses uh, six, uh, 4 through 6 or 8 that help us understand what happens to a person who's lost, who believes they're saved. First thing I want you to catch is it's experience rather than a relationship. It's about an experience, not a relationship. Now think about it. You ever had a great experience at some place? Yeah, you sure have. You've gone to a restaurant, it's a great experience. What do you want to do? You, you want to go back and you want that same experience. 
In some ways, uh, you go back and, and because it was such a great experience the last time, you get the exact same thing as you got last time. Why? Because you wanted the same experience again. I was a part of a ministry one time that, that everything had to happen a certain way. And it frustrated me to no end because if you know me well enough, change is a word that I, I, I don't mind change. I, and I don't do rhythms just because we have to. And so they did everything this particular way every single time. It was like, you got to do step one before you can do step two. And it was bothering me to no end till, till I come to realize why they did what they did. It was because the people who established this organization had such a powerful moment that they, wanna, they wanted everybody else to have that same experience. Now, what they were doing, there was nothing wrong with what they were doing. But experience was driving the order, not the relationship. We see this in, in teenagers. We go to camps and we have a great experience at camp. And, and, and on the last night, teenagers go, why can't our church be like it is at camp? What they're really saying is we've had such a powerful experience. Why not here? And people who live in just the experience miss the relationship. Give you an example. John chapter 6. Uh, people had been fed. Jesus had fed all of them. Night had come and he decides, he sends the disciples across the lake and he's going across the lake. Hey, let's get away from these people because Jesus knows in his heart what they want to do. They want to make him king, not because of what he taught them, but because they got their belly fed. They were much more about the experience than they were the relationship. And so sometimes we have people who go to churches and it's a great experience. Man, it's just fun. It's, we love that experience and we want to come back. But they don't come back for the relationship with Jesus. They come back for the experience. Listen, if your faith is built on experience only, you're lost and going to hell. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. We talk all the time in staff about making sure we have the, try to, 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 to make an experience that is a good experience. We, we talk about distractions. We talk about, oh, we've got to fix that, that noise. The, the, we want the experience to be good. But we're more concerned about your relationship than we are the experience. And so you've got to have a, a relationship, not just the experience. The second thing is we find an unwillingness rather than faith. Now, let me unpack this one for a second. When we look here at the text, we find where the text tells us that, that they crucified, they're trying to crucify him again. Well, what's that mean? What that means is they didn't look at what Jesus did as, as saving them from their sins. They saw Jesus and his death as justified. They, they don't see Jesus as, they don't see Jesus as the Savior who came to save them from their sins. They see him as a good moral person 
And because of that, they don't put any stock in that. And so they're shaming him again, as the text says there in uh, verse, uh, end of verse 5, I believe. And it's, it's, they miss who Jesus, they're unwilling to see Jesus as the son of God. And so they don't put any faith in him. And so sometimes we get, sometimes people uh, just follow Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Think about Judas. Judas is a great example of his unwillingness and didn't have any faith. He came and followed Jesus because of the money, because of the crowd, and all those types of things. He never had faith in Jesus. He didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. He saw him as another man, a prophet. And as long as you don't see Jesus as the one who rescues you and saves you from your sin, you're unwilling and you don't have any faith. We've got to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. For what he did on the cross, the cross was for you and for me, for your sins, for my sins, for all of you, all of humanity. So there's this unwillingness that takes place and people, people come to this place and they, they just think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe everything Jesus taught. And then here's the problem with that th philosophy. Or, and, and, and you could take it, there are people who go, well, I don't believe everything in the Bible. So take this both ways. I don't believe everything in the Bible or I don't believe everything Jesus taught. So here's the question. What do you believe and how do you, how do you, how do you decide that's different from everything else? I mean, when you, start, when you start deciding like Thomas Jefferson did, deciding I like this part and this part, you've just ruined the entire thing. And you've just ruined your witness. You've just come to a place of unwillingness to say, I'm unwilling to believe all this. Therefore, you have no faith in the God who is over all and in all. We see Jews. We, we could go through and, and look at other people who are, fall in this, this category. The question is, do you fall in that category? Are you doing that? The third thing we find in this text is they're listening rather than responding. They're listening rather than responding. We get to the end in verses 7 and 8. There's this, this little saying, this parable or the story. Look with me at it. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears good crop for the farmer it is it has God's blessing but if the field bears thorns and thistles it is useless and catch what happens the farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it writer of Hebrews is is using that as a reminder you not only have to hear the word but you've got to respond to the word for you see, think about it. The same seed falls in the good and the 
on, on all the ground, right? The same water comes and waters the ground. But it's a matter of how you respond as to whether or not you are producing good fruit or are you just a thistle and a thorn bush. Do you like thorn bushes? I, I, I can't stand them. Um, Pam's parents used to have, uh, well, they still do, they have a, a piece of property in Elizabethtown that I used to have to mow every, every week, and, and then I've given it to my dad to mow since we're here. And the fence line had thistles on one side. And you've never, and I, you know, I was, I'm a person that when I mow, I wear shorts and a t-shirt. You know, I'm just, why well, be hot? I'm just gonna. But the problem was, I had to get close to the, those thistles and, and thorns. Because if I don't, guess what happens? They grow out. And they take more and more. So every week, I would, I would go and I would, as much as I could, sit on the edge of that seat, hanging off this side of the zero-turn mower, just enough weight on it to keep the thing engaged and going down through there. It's a wonder I didn't fall off multiple times. But at, at, regardless, at the end of the day, after I've made my pass or two, my arm and my leg would just be ripped from them. And so when I read this text, I go, burn it. That's all it's good for. There's no, I mean, there's no good to that. So when you think about this text, do you want to produce good fruit or do you want to be an aggravation? Because that's all those thistles and thorns were to me is an aggravation. And think about it in God's standard. Do you want to produce good fruit for God or do you just want to be an aggravation? It's all in the matter of do you want to just listen to what is said or do you want to respond? Do you want to do what God's word says or, do you, or are you happy just hearing God's word? So that's the problem. The Bible tells us we're to be doers of God's word, not hearers only. So the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to a group of people who, who look like they are saved, but they are missing heaven by a mile. They act like it because they got enough knowledge, but they're not responding. They're unwilling to see Jesus for who he is. They're missing it all. And friends, let's, let's just be honest. I think, they're the, I think there are people like that in, in the church. They've come for the experience. And the experience can be, hey, I, I, I love my Sunday school class. I love the people I sit with. I love, hey, I, I go just because I don't want to miss out on lunch afterwards. That's when COVID's not happening. Um, all those things are experience. They don't come for the relationship. So let me give you two th takeaways. First takeaway, you must be changed by the gospel. Listen, the gospel's got to change your life. If the gospel hasn't changed your life, friends, that's the starting spot. 
And, and let me explain to you what the gospel is, because sometimes I think, and I'm, I'm, I, may be, I may be bad at this and I apologize, but let me, if you don't know what the gospel is, let me just explain it to you. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so you hear me say multiple times at the end of services about the, about the gospels, but let me, let me just point it out to you. The three things, you'll catch these, you'll, and as soon as you catch these, you'll think he does this every week. But I want you to make sure you know what the gospel is. The first one is admit you are a sinner. Listen, I'm a sinner, and I hope you admit you're a sinner. Because here's what the Bible tells us in, in Romans 3.23. For all. Guess who that leaves out? No one. So turn to your spouse and go, you're a sinner. Yeah, see, the guys just didn't want to do that. I don't know why that happened. I think they know they're going home later and lunch is in, involved in that. But anyways, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you have to come to the place and you have to admit, hey, I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. If it's left up to me, I'll never get there. And so I need Jesus. The second thing is, believe Jesus paid for your sin. Do you believe Jesus paid for your sin? Do you believe he went to the cross for your sin? That on that cross, he was nailed to that cross for you and for your sins? Romans 5, 5, 8 says, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still what? Sinners. Catch it. You don't have to get right before you come to Jesus. You just got to admit that you need Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which leads us to the third one. You hear me say this all the time. Commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Romans 10, 9. If you will confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be, what church? Saved. And you go, well, the word says confess. Sure. But that confessing is committing your life to him. So you, the gospel's got to change your life. Can't be something you know. It's got to be something you know for sure. That you believe with all your heart that Jesus died for you. You know without a shadow of a doubt that you've given your life to him and that if heaven forbid today was your last day on earth, you've got no worries where you'll spend eternity. Talking to somebody the other day, they were talking about the church, their frustrations with the church. And I finally just said, I'm not worried about your frustrations with the church. I'm worried where you'll spend eternity. Do you know where you're going? Do you know? Which leads us to the second thing. You must live as the gospel has changed you. You've got to live as though the gospel has changed your life. You've got to come to a point where we're living like what Christ calls us to do, to be imitators, to, to live out the gospel message. 
You can't be like Mickey Cohen who goes, hey, I just want to be a gangster. And can't I be a Christian gangster? No, that just doesn't work. They're, that's an oxymoron. That just doesn't happen. You've got to live like your life has been changed by the gospel. D.L. Moody, the famous pastor and evangelist, was in the streets of Chicago one day walking down the street. And a drunk walked up to him, he was a town drunk, just staggered up and slurred to him. He says, I'm one of your converts. D.L. Moody, uh, uh, I love reading anything about D.L. Moody or Billy Sunday. You, you know, again, great name, Billy Sunday, uh, boxer. Uh, but D.L. Moody looks at him and says, you must be one of mine because you're certainly not one of the Lord's. You say that today, people get offended, but... You got to live as though your life has been changed by the gospel. So the question for you today, are you growing in Christ? If you're not, is it because you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Now I get it. We all go through moments of dry seasons, difficult days. But listen, if you, if you, if you tell me that you were saved in, in 1970 and your basic knowledge of scripture is what you knew in 1970, I, I'm going to question your salvation just because a true believer is going to want to grow in Christ and know God. Now, that's not my place to judge. And, but the Bible does tell us they'll know us by our fruits. And so do you know Jesus today? If you don't, you begin by admitting, believing, and committing your life to him. Just a moment, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. If this morning you want to make a, a decision, after the services we dismiss, you go right out these doors. Mike Thomason's going to be there. He'd love to talk to you about coming to know Christ. If, if there's another decision on your heart, he can help you with that, whether it's to join our church family or be a part of it. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, I, I just want to come to the altar. It's been some time. I need to come to the altar and pray. You, you come. You come kneel here at the altar and pray. Maybe it's you praying for your life. Maybe it's somebody else. You, whatever God's laid on your heart, don't, don't be disobedient because you're afraid of what somebody will think. If you're watching us online or, uh, or, or on Channel 6, you can call us at 270-681-2363 270-681-2363 Are you growing? Are you becoming more like Christ every day? Are you one of God's converts or man's? Would you stand with me?